0: Hi, I'm Ken. And I'm Dee. And this is Antiques Freaks. It's always podcast. What antiques are we talking about this week? A listener request.
1: Huzzah! This was a request from Azariah, who wanted to know more about pie birds. Pie birds! And it occurred to me at that request that I also wanted to learn more about pie birds.
0: We realized we all want to learn more about pie birds. So here we go. Do you know what a pie bird is? It is a ceramic bird that you put in the center of your pie to let the heat escape through the bird's open mouth. So the steam is vented from the pie.
1: What a grand and intoxicating innocence. The pie bird.
0: (laughs) Broke. Oh, you sweet summer child. Woke. What a grand and intoxicating innocence.
1: (laughs) You cannot understand a pie bird.
0: What is a pie bird? A miserable
1: pile of secrets. (laughs) That's, you're not wrong. But pie birds actually have a much longer and interesting history to them. Do tell. So pie birds were not always shaped like birds. Then what are we even doing here? (laughs) What are we? We're just wasting time. So pie bird is is a later term to describe what used to be called pie vents, pie funnels, pie chimneys, or pie whistles. I do love pie whistle. That sounds like it's going to be fun. I keep hearing them referred to as pie whistles. And I also found several sources that are absolutely certain that a pie vent never whistles. That it doesn't exist. It's never existed. I couldn't find any myself. If you have a pie vent that whistles, please let us know.
0: Write in AntiquesFreaksPodcast at (laughs) gmail.com
1: That's our silliest request yet. So yeah, they were originally hollow ceramic devices that were funnel or chimney shaped with a base that had high arches for the purpose of venting a pie. Venting a pie? But why the pie? For make pie good instead of bad. Exactly. And that's all you need to know about it. <laughs> Sources for today include... Common sense. <laughs> So pie vents and later pie birds are pretty much specifically for double-crusted pies. So not your pumpkin
0: pies, not your pecan pies, but your apple pies. Although there was a lot of kerfuffle
1: about apples specifically. Really? Yeah. Are the nutmeg people back? No, this is specifically people think that the steam trapped in the pie is necessary to cook the apples properly.
0: That's not a thing. No, what? Shut up. Stop it. Go home.
1: (laughs) The extremely opinionated nature of home baking is going to rear its head several times here. And that's just like instance number one.
0: (laughs) Okay, but so the alternative to using a pie bird, sorry if this is a spoiler for the remainder of the episode, is to physically cut vents into the pie crust itself. To let the steam out. And for apple pies in particular, it is common to cut a cute design into the top of the pie. Such as, oh, an apple. Yes. And I can assure you, having baked every single apple pie in my goddamn life by cutting physical vents into the actual pie crust, the apples cook fine. The apples cook great. What is your damage that you think you have to hold all the steam inside of the crust in order to cook apples?
1: Ah, but- According to these people, the pie bird lets out too much steam. You can control the size of the vents if you just cut little slits, and that will allow a modest amount of steam, enough to keep the pie from bubbling up and boiling out of the crust, but not too much, which would prevent the apples from cooking just so.
0: They're not going to be prevented from cooking. If anything, they're going to be prevented from turning to mush because you'll be relieving them of the excess moisture, which,
1: spoiler alert, they have a lot of because they're fucking fruit. I was extremely excited about bringing this up because I know you have a lot of really strong opinions about apple baked goods in particular. <laughs> I was just like, "Can can he is an old hand. I grew up in orchard country, okay? We know our goddamn apples. He's an old hand at apple to bake goods, and this is going to set him off like nothing. And imagine my delight when that is precisely what happened.
0: If you trap all of the steam in your pie, congratulations, you are eating <laughs> applesauce inside... A moosh that was once flaky, buttery, delicious crust, but now, due to the excess moisture that you have not vented off, has become soggy like a cardboard box left out in the rain. (laughs) I am
1: so glad I included
0: this. This could not have gone better. (laughs) At that point, you might as well just be eating a baked apple and save yourself the trouble of pie crust.
1: Ooh, I love a baked apple.
0: Baked apples are great, but like, goddamn. They also don't need to be contained for steam <laughs> or for the apple to cook. The apple will mush itself together on its own. Because I don't know how to tell you this, they're wet. It's a wet fruit.
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> I love baking controversy. <laughs> <laughs> so, Esken has actually very helpfully demonstrated for us when you're talking about a double crusted pie, particularly apples or other big wet fruits you do get an issue with the liquid inside boiling and creating a lot of steam. An overage of steam in a pie will, as Ken actually very helpfully demonstrated, it'll gunk up your fruits and make them much mushier than you want. And in doing that, it'll soak into your crust and make your crust soggy.
0: Bad. Bad time. Don't do it. What's wrong with you?
1: And while cutting vents is actually fine now, it's pretty useful, and to a certain extent, Ali's has been, when we are going back to the Victorian era, where we start seeing pie birds commonly talked about, we don't have ovens that can be kept at stable, normal temperatures.
0: Oh, yes, that is a very modern invention.
1: <laughs> I mean, lattice work could also be used to the same effect, obviously. That is part of why it was developed. Cutting vents is effective, but depending on how turbulent your oven is about to be, It can still result in, like, a lot of boil-over, ruined crusts, and worst of all, a huge mess in your oven.
0: Alright, so picture this. It's the 1840s. You've just gone up at the ass crack of dawn to make a big fat stack of toast, and now you're moving on to the pies that will need to be ready for dinner tonight. And you have put in all of the work to, you know, hand-cut chilled butter into flour to roll out pie dough and then without breaking it spread it into the pan and then individually peel core and chop all of your apples into neat delicious slices and put those very carefully into said pie crust and you have put said pie into the oven but oh no you have no vent and now several hours later just before dinner is about to be served you need the dessert to be ready apple juice from the many many juicy apples you have put into this pie has bubbled up through the crust And spilled over into the sides of the oven. So you now, not only do you have a ruined pie, but you also have a ruined oven interior because the inside of the oven is now slathered in burnt sugar. (laughs) Have you ever tried to clean burnt sugar off of anything? Like anything? And remember, you do not have an (laughs) oven with a cleaning setting. You can't just crank it up to 600 and let everything burn away. That's not an option for you. You're going to get on your hands and knees and scrub and scrape through the night to get this oven clean enough to cook breakfast with tomorrow morning.
1: I love when you get passionate about Victorian food prep. I'm
0: just saying! <laughs> they went through a lot!
1: It's true. Which is actually, again, an excellent explanation for why people sprung for what, what can feel to current cooks an unnecessary gadget that you were popping in your pie. Pie vents... They're like the banana slicers of today. They were kind of seen as a a gadget. But they were really, really effective. And they were generally more effective than just kind of slitting the pie and hoping for the best. Especially when you're talking what you're looking at a lot of meat pies. Oh no. Yeah, and especially in like Europe, those meat pies can get really fucking tall. Oh no. (laughs) There was a lot of bickering about whether or not crust collapse is like a real thing to worry about. I'm going to go ahead and say, as someone who's baked many, many a homemade pie, yeah, what are you talking about? It's happened to me like seven times. I don't think people are denying it exists.
0: I think people are divided on whether or not it ultimately matters for the pie. That's true. Like for me, a crust that has inflated and then collapsed back down on itself, it might not be the prettiest crust, but it's still going to taste really good. True. Whereas if, like D, you bake everything as if you are prepping for the final judgment on Great British Bake Off... That might be a problem for you.
1: Yeah, and I would contend that in the scenario you'd explained earlier about the cook prepping for perhaps their upper-class family, that might be what prepping dinner is like for them every day. Appearance mattered for a lot of people. It absolutely did. So having like a picture-perfect crust could be a significant issue for your average cook. It could indeed. I was really interested to see that there are people who flippantly throw around the phrase 1700s about the appearance of pie vents. And I don't doubt that entirely. But the first written evidence of pie vents in use is from 1880 in catalogs. I actually found a place that was trying to find the history of these, gone through Mrs. Beaton's Comprehensive Advice, a book from the 1860s covering all kinds of pastry prepping stuff, that never mentioned pie funnels. Again, it wouldn't turn up till 1880 in a bunch of different catalogs. So they probably existed, but when we're talking about people giving a shit about them, we are looking at the 1880s. And usually, like I said, these were just chimney-shaped or funnel-shaped, and they were either plain or used as advertising for other, like, kitchen goods sellers. Oh, that sounds cute. Yeah, so if you were selling someone, you know, some branded lard, the lard brand might also have a little pie vent that they gave away. Aww. And those are very collectible. And so the pie vent would see very little movement in the imagination of bakers everywhere until... Until... It made its, its slow, creeping way, as all things will, to the U.S. of A. And then still nothing would happen until <laughs> the 1920s. The Jazz Age is upon us. The Jazz Age is upon us. People have more disposable income. The middle, the middle class is swelling. Not for long, but, <laughs> you know. Gatsby is at his greatest, and the knees are rouged. Oh, they are so rouged. People, they are charlestoning all throughout the kitchen making making a pie. The very first instance we have recorded of a pie vent that was shaped like a bird was the Pearl China Company of Ohio with a rooster proudly crowing from the middle of your pie. Ah, This was at some point in the 1920s. The companies that were producing these, especially in the U.S. later, weren't super interested in patenting any of it. Because they were small, cheap things that often got like thrown in dime stores and stuff. They weren't carrying the company on their cheerful little birdie backs. They were essentially promotional postcards. Yeah, they're still being used as advertisement, even as birds. But, enter one of two things. <laughs> Absolutely no one can agree which came first. There was a registered design by a woman named Grace Secom, who had patented a blackbird-shaped pie funnel. And also, somewhat famous Clarice Cliff also added a blackbird-shaped pie funnel to her own range of ceramics roughly in the same decade. (laughs) So no one knows whose came first, but what we do know is that in the 1930s, we saw the blackbirds. Four and twenty of them baked in a pie? If you wanted that many, that seems like a lot of little ceramic birds to put in your pie. There wouldn't be a lot of space left for filling. Unless they're really tiny. It seems like overkill. But what about just one blackbird? That could be very cute. Yeah, it's almost certainly inspired by the nursery rhyme, inspired by the fact that people were already making pie vents that just looked like fun stuff. And the little blackbird would become synonymous with the idea of pie bird. In fact, I hadn't considered that there were other kinds until I dug into this, actually. Really? But oh, the kinds there are. There are elephants, giraffes, pigs, people. My favorite, dragons. I'm sorry, what? There are more than one pie vent designs that are little dragons' necks with their heads popping up above the pie and blowing the steam out through their little dragon mouths. And I have yet to see a single one that I don't adore and cherish. Why do
0: I not have all of them in my kitchen right now?
1: I have a note here that just said pause for Ken to get excited. (laughs) (laughs) I knew you would love the dragons. Because you
0: said the words pie bird dragons.
1: (laughs) I was so excited. Oh my god. You can also get pretty much conceivably if it is a bird, it can be found as a pie bird. And many of them vintage. There are vintage penguin pie birds. I thought when I saw it that that was almost certainly a contemporary thing. But no. But no. There are flamingos. There are penguins. There are cranes, ducks. I believe the technical term is pinglings. There are i pe- I'm sorry. Yes, pinglings. Your Penguins. Penguins, <laughs> Pinglings. All acceptable. There were pie birds that had their wings spread out. So you could divide the pan in half and make two different pie fillings? Oh my god. Right? Oh my god. This was based on a a boring version of the pie vent that just kind of looked like a little propeller to do the same thing. Um, fuck that. If it's not shaped like (laughs) a bird, I don't want it. If it's not
0: a dragon with wings gloriously outstretched, what are we even doing here?
1: I know! Blackbirds, of course, ended up being the most popular shape because of their connection to the nursery rhyme. They were just extremely cute. They were very striking. Uh, I think this is incorrect. Obviously, the dragons should have been the most popular. I mean, I read through a bunch of baking blogs that were talking about this, and a lot of them found that using the pie bird over conventional venting actually yielded a difference in crust crispiness really to tell i guess it's just a matter of volume the birds or dragons as i will eventually own are just more efficient at venting the steam and they vent it faster and harder so that not enough gets trapped to make your crust soggy so crisp so flaky so buttery that is the theory there is as all things with home baking a lot of argument about how true that is You're talking about the kind of people who argue constantly about whether or not your egg whites have to be a old to make macarons, so, like, that is not new. (laughs) Pie birds should always have four major features. They have to have a notch or arch or some kind of vent along the bottom edge to collect the steam within the pie. There must always, obviously, be a vent hole in the top of each figure. The bottom of the figure must be as open as possible so it can be cleaned, and the interior figure has to be glazed so it can be cleaned. This might come as no surprise to find that these tips will end up being really important for spotting reproductions.
0: Oh, yeah. Interior glaze isn't usually a thing for reproductions because, frankly, that's a lot of glaze to go around and we don't have time for that.
1: And the reproductions aren't generally being sold or purchased with the intent of going in a pie. They're being made now, where making pies in general is seen as something of a hobby, as opposed to a necessity, so they're not built for function. Boo. That goes double for the bottoms. Looking at the bottom where it will sit on the bottom pie crust is really important, because if arches or like notches on the bottom aren't robust enough, or even not there at all, that's a dead giveaway that this is like a shelf piece made very recently. To use a pie bird, you roll out the bottom layer of your pastry, press it into the pie pan, parbake it if it's that kind of pie that you're making and if it's an apple pie then god help you you better be parbaking it i've never parbaked an apple pie in my goddamn life oh my god are we gonna have baker beef right now i mean
0: we're overdue by at least two hours for our annual podcast fight
1: (laughs) i you said yourself that apple pies are soggy so why would you just let all of that sog soak into the bottom crust that's what the vent is for arguably the most important crust That's what you vent. But you got to give the vent some help. Parbake that shit. Unnecessary. Ugh. Well, I mean, like, I cannot believe. Oh my God. So at that point, you would parbake it if you were going to do that. And once you're done with that, you gently place the pie bird in the middle of the crust. You then place your pie filling around the pie bird and the top layer of the crust is rolled out and you cut an X slightly smaller than the girth of the bird into the top crust. Then the crust is carefully lowered over the bird. And the filling, crimped, the top of the pie bird will project from the pie, allowing the steam to escape, while the rest of the body remains buried in the filling, collecting the steam. I really prefer when you do the X thing, because then you have these little decorative peelbacks from the bird as if it has popped out of the pie. I've seen a couple where people just kind of cut around the bird. That's fine, but it's not anywhere near as whimsical, and if you're going to be using a pie bird, I think whimsy might be part of the goal. So consider that before inviting me over is all I'm saying. (laughs) Uh, so, you want to collect pie birds now, right? Absolutely. I don't want to collect pie birds. I strictly want to collect pie dragons. I mean, I was lumping them under the category, but yes. Spoiler warning, this is this is a new one. that was made in, like, the 1990s, but there's a pie goat, and it's, like, a little gentleman goat, and he's carrying a pie. Oh my god! And he's got his mouth open, and that's where the steam comes out, and he's wearing a cute little coat, and, like, I am so in love with it. I I actually have tabs open on eBay with a couple. <laughs> like right now. Oh my god! So <laughs> for collecting pie birds, first check if it's the one I want and send me the link. <laughs> <laughs> one of the major things obviously is going to be you have to be careful of reproductions. After the slight increase and then tidal wave-like pressure of the increase in home cooking that had kind of started in the like 2010s, and then got an extreme resounding smack in the ass by the start of COVID, they've become more and more popular. Putting a pie bird in a pie is extremely Instagrammable. Oh, yes. And so while there are just contemporary ones being made, those are easy to spot. They're on Amazon. And if you're on Amazon, I hate to break it to you. It's probably not an antique. So let's start there. One of the most common reproductions are, huge surprise, the blackbirds proper. In particular, the Clarice Cliff pie bird, as this is one of the first instances, at least in the U.S. as far as we know. No offense to Australia. The Clarice Cliff commands a pretty penny and is just kind of like warmly regarded as like the pie bird. It's a black bird with white eyes with black pupils, upturned heads, yellow beaks, and a white vent slash perch. Thankfully, Clarice Cliff's pie birds are almost always marked, either by her first registration mark or the Newport Pottery mark, which the Newport Pottery will always have an incised registration number. The Clarice Cliffs are very, very homemade. The, it was a company got started in her garage. So the paint is generally very, uh, we'll call it rustic. It's not as crisp. And the reproductions I've seen are all extremely crisp because they are being applied in a factory setting. Something something folk art? Something something folk art. Something something Ray done. Oh no. <laughs> has she made pie birds? Oh my god. Hold on. Alright. <laughs> Try not to do this but. Hack the mainframe. Pie bird. Biohacking. I'm in. The leaves. I misspelled done. <laughs> she has not as of yet made a pie bird. Aww. Give it time. Okay. Okay. <laughs>
0: Oh, but, like, as part of our Halloween collection, it's a little pie bird raven, but, like, is a bird skull. So spooky!
1: Wait, I want that so bad now! Wait, but that doesn't exist yet, and now I want it so badly, Ken! <laughs> if you're a potter, take note. <laughs> Ken and I will 100% buy that off of you. Hell yes. <laughs> So another thing to look for is markings. This is kind of up in the air because while it's true most repros don't bother with copying any markings for this particular thing, uh, a lot of the original companies also didn't bother with markings. So that is where our earlier rules about what a pie bird should be like will start to come in handy. These aren't really built for function, so their bases will not have generous vents. They will not be glazed on the inside, and the bases might also be like very thin and small, And, like, not much wider than the rest of the figure itself. And that's another, like, giveaway because it should be wider at the bottom for the obvious reason of collecting steam. If you find a piece with, like, a manufacturer's mark, this just kind of adds value in the way of adding provenance to it. Some of the best that you would be looking for are Shawnee Pottery. I really liked theirs. They are extremely, like, rustic and tend to be in, like, pastel colors. And they're just like fat little cartoon birds, so that's like a 10 out of 10 from me. Hell yeah. We also have Morton, McCoy, Clemenson, Falsgraf, Spode. As a warning, Falsgraf and Spode are actually currently making pie birds. However, they are clearly marked, if not with years, with manufacturer's marks that, frankly, if you glance at them, you kind of know are pretty recent. They have like a whole like graphic design look to them that's just awful. (laughs) Uh, You. Not that we're judging, but we're judging. I'm not judging, but I'm judging. Uh, you also get the Nut Brown Company of England, which was, through the Victorian era onward, a well-known kitchen manufacturing company. Nut Brown actually has some of the most desirable and earliest examples of pie birds that were actually little elephants with their trunks sticking out for steam. I think that's extremely charming, but I'm still focusing on the dragon. It's really hard to top the dragon. It's super hard to get past the dragon. Like once you say pie dragon, it's like, well, it's going to be really hard to impress me now. You also have the Yosef Company of Japan, which later on started making some that are still really, really collectible. Basically, if it's from La Crusette, those are completely modern. They are made to satisfy a modern current desire for pie birds. And as PyBird prices are starting to very slowly climb to alarming numbers, I guess that becomes more and more of a viable market. I was going to say it's a bad sign if the same PyBird is readily available in multiple colors, but there is one vintage set that was meant to match the 1940s run of Fiesta Wear that is a notable exception and is actually quite valuable if you can get them all together. Ooh. So I guess just gonna have to start using common sense on that. In addition to Pybird-specific things like shallow arches on the base, narrow bases, no vent at the top, you can just look at general porcelain kitchenware, kind of evidences of age. Again, these should be glazed all over, so unglazed feet are a bad sign. You can look for crazing paint that looks like it has been applied by hand. This is tough because I find a really hard time trying to describe to people the bridge between It is messily applied because it was done by hand by a loving artisan. And it is messily applied because they have about 0.5 seconds of the factory to put it on. Yeah. They're different. They're different messy. You know this. They are. It's a distinct messy. And that's a messy to look out for. It's handmade
0: versus slapdash.
1: Yeah. Since pie birds are becoming something of a hot topic, it's pretty easy to float around the internet and take a look at some of the genuine vintage ones and get a sense for what the differences look between those two things. And if you're gunning for maximum cash, which I feel like if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you know is not necessarily the attitude you should have to this sort of thing, I'm still going to tell you. The more unusual shapes become more and more valuable and popular. You've got things like racism, uh, unfortunately, rank pretty high. Mm. Yeah, that's... I've made I up my mind to only refer to it as racist antiques. Because it is. Yeah. The more exotic the birds get, flamingos and penguins... And crows actually rank pretty high up and start driving prices up. Human figurals are unusual and so tend to be more valuable. One fun thing I found out is birds with longer necks and elaborate or outstretched wings always become more expensive because they were more likely to be broken. Oh. As for where these prices fall, it is a really interesting range from extremely affordable to extremely not affordable. You can start getting them at like $10, and that would be from around the 50s through 70s. And slowly, oh so slowly, they start climbing to 50, to the 100s, to the high 100s, with rare examples selling for thousands. I would say the bulk of them kind of hover around the $20 to $50 range, for if you were say in an antique store proper, if it had been curated and identified already. So it's not a completely unaffordable collection. And they also get tossed aside as, like, tchotchkes and, like, little shelf figures. So if you've got a sharp eye at used goods stores or yard sales, it's actually pretty easy to make out with these little guys. In general, anything from the 1920s through the 1950s are generally seen as more valuable than the 1960s and 70s, with caveats being if the ones from the 60s and 70s are extremely cool, like the little goat that's holding a pie, or literally any dragon. This is probably the part where I would try to have found you some kind of, like, reference website, and they're all gone for some reason? There were two hardcore PyBird collection websites that are both, like, disabled as of recently. And the Pictorial Identification Value Guide 4 and 20 Blackbirds, Volume 1 and 2, may as well be collectibles in their own right, as Volume 1 seems to trend around several hundred dollars. Ah. Volume 2 is something like 40 which isn't necessarily unusual for, like, a boutique identification guide. So that would be my best bet to helping you figure this out. There's also a couple of Facebook groups, which could probably be very helpful. And uh, that is Pie birds. Any questions, Ken? Where do I get a dragon? eBay. I think there's a couple on eBay right now.
0: <laughs> How do I convince Yankee Candle to start making dragons? How do I convince Martha Stewart to come out with her own line of dragon pie birds? How do we get Ray Dunn on goth raven pie birds? How do we manifest this? <laughs>
1: Okay, There are actually some like hand done dragon pie birds from like current ceramics shops. Oh, hell yes. As well as, of course, the the Welsh pie dragon. <gasps> oh my god, this one's got two. This one's double headed. I need this one. I love it. I'm going to spit $75. It's two headed dragon pie bird.
0: Huh?
1: Yeah, Oh, uh, Stuart Base actually is a sort of we're going to call it a contemporary company. and He actually has one of my favorite pie dragons. And he also, uh, I believe, makes the goat that I want so badly. So, like, I guess I'm just a big Stuart Bass fan. Hell yeah. And that's another thing. If you are the kind of person who likes whimsical, contemporary pottery art, thanks to it becoming more and more popular, you can find a bunch on Etsy. Hell yeah. Sources for today's pies include Devo.com Newsletter 423, The Historic Foodie at WordPress.com, Article A Quick Look at Piebirds, CollectorsWeekly.com, Clarif Clif, designed Pie Bird. GlassandPotterySellers.org. Newsletter April 2005. HomeThingsPast.com. Which, in the absence of the now defunct websites, is going to be our weirdly on the nose one. Pie Birds and Pie Funnels. CollectorsWeekly.com. Again, Kitchen Pie Birds. And Trader.com, Vintage Pie Birds are Functional Whimsical Collectibles. The article. Yay. If you would like to suggest episode
0: topics or just say hello, you can email us directly antiquesfreakspodcast at gmail.com or post in our Facebook group, Antiques Freaks Friends, or tag us on Tumblr, antiquesfreaks.tumblr.com.
1: If you had a lot of fun thinking about pie, feel free to scroll on down to wherever you're listening to this podcast and leave us a review. All reviews are extremely helpful to getting our voices into other ears and our message across the world.
0: If you'd like to purchase some vintage goods or some t-shirts and stickers with the podcast logo on them, you can check out our Etsy at etsy.com slash shop antiquesfreaks, now featuring haunted clowns. <laughs> yeah, because I found more clowns and quite frankly, I'm starting to become nervous. We also have a Patreon at patreon.com slash antiquesfreaks, where you can listen to our special bonus episode presentation of Varney the Vampire or the Feast of Blood, a Victorian Penny Dreadful.
1: Which is just more fun than you could ever
0: imagine. Special shout out to our current patrons for paying our hosting fees and filling our hearts with love.
1: So much love.
0: And thank you in particular for listening.
1: That's right, you. Au revoir. Goodbye.